0: I love stories. I think the world is so many stories. Everything is interesting in the world because of stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they,
0: there's not one person that I don't want to hear their story.
1: You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle.
2: And we are your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means
1: to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm,
2: one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so
1: glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, dear Good Dirt listeners. We've got a treat for you today. I don't remember giggling as much in an interview as we did when we talked with Tammy from Wing and a
2: Prayer Farm. It's true. Tammy was such a delight. I can relate to so much of her joy And all of the gifts of living on a farm with all of those amazing creatures. I also love
1: the name Wing and a Prayer. We talk about it a bit in the episode, but I'm curious, Mom, what comes to mind
2: when you think of a wing and a prayer? It actually reminds me of our own adventure in moving from our city house out to the farm. It made no sense on paper, really. It was just something that felt right. All we had to do was enter into the opportunity which is what we did almost 10 years ago now and we've never looked back yeah that's
1: such a great story and something that I loved about Tammy was how happy and present she seems in her life and she is in her life and this woman who works so hard but with so much joy and plenty of humor to keep her going she was just such an inspiration and speaking of inspiration (laughs) <laughs> we want to tell you, dear listeners, how inspired we are by you and your feedback. The best of you are probably so sick of me talking about the survey at this point, <laughs> but thank you for being with us. It's so important to us in our show. A million thank yous to. All of you who have completed the listener survey, it means so much to us. It will help our show continue to grow. And if you haven't yet, you still have one week to go to ladyfarmer.com forward slash survey and tell us how you really feel. You'll automatically get three months free in the Almanac, which is our online community platform, and you will be entered to win an entire year free as well. So we'll be announcing that winner next week, October 1st. And... Fall is in full swing in the almanac. So mom, do you want to tell them about what that is?
2: Yes, and we've so loved getting to know so many of you through our online community platform, The Almanac. It's where we gather with others, seeking a slower, more intentional lifestyle. And it's basically a structured framework for continued growth in sustainable living and where we host member-exclusive events, articles, tutorials, discussions, and most importantly, connection with each other. We let the rhythms of the seasons guide us as we explore this radical life-changing paradigm shift of slowing down.
1: Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. And for those of you who have been following for a while, we're changing things up a bit by leaving enrollment open for you to join at any time you please. So no worries about the doors closing. We're here when you're ready to join us. But to get back to today's conversation, we wanted to share a few more things about Tammy before we dive in. Definitely.
2: Farmer Tam, as she's affectionately called along with the help of her children and community, has been cultivating a home with a heart for fiber animals of all species and breeds in a small New England town since 2001. The focus on breed-specific fiber keeps Tammy and helpers busy year-round. She also sells wool products, farm-made soaps, home-baked pies, fresh eggs, and chicks through farm markets, sheep and wool festivals, and their online shop.
1: And for those of you sheep and wool lovers out there, you'll be excited to know that Wing and a Prayer Farm is home to Vermont's First pure blood valet black nosed sheep, and some of the first valet black nosed sheep in North America.
2: And for everyone, sheep lovers or not, we know you'll learn something in this episode, and we hope you'll enjoy listening to Tammy's stories as much as we did. Enjoy!
0: I'm Tammy White, and I'm at Wing and a Prayer Farm in Shaftesbury, Vermont, and it's in the southwest corner of the state of Vermont. So I've lived here since 1986. Uh, We've been farming since 2000. I was born in Long Beach, California, and then moved as a youth to Massachusetts to the Berkshires is where my grandparents' farm was that I moved to from California. And so it was an old dairy farm, but that's where I learned. And I was involved in 4-H and learned how to take care of poultry and You know, helped bring in hay and watched. I was always very interested in art and education. And then, you know, I ended up with a marketing degree at the end. And I like sort of administrative stuff in some ways, but I really am, I am very creative. I have things going on in my head all the time that. Just don't want to be at a desk 40 hours a week or whatever hours a week. And so I just like went from kind of one thing to another as you do. When my kids were tiny, then I used to do weddings, flower weddings, like out of my house and stuff like that. So I kept busy that way. And I studied and got my master's in education so that I could teach. So I've, and then, you know, the kids and I started the farm in 2001. We we went on a trip to England in 2000 to visit friends we took a train ride through the countryside. We saw sheep dotting all the hills and we thought we should raise sheep. We decided upon Shetland sheep and brought them to the farm. And um, we'd done a lot of research, visited a lot of farms. we started very small and we had a dozen chickens and they were all barred rocks. And because, you know, we didn't really know everything. We were just going for simple beginnings. But by now I have like 70 plus sheep. And I have alpacas and I have angora goats and cashmere goats. And we've had horses. I have one horse now and uh, mini donkeys and American Guinea hog. She's the governor of the farm. Her name is princess peppermint and she's about 350 pounds. She lives in the garden. And so we kind of call her the troll, you know, she's like our garden is raised beds and um, we raise dye plants for all the the yarns that we make. And I dye them here with the flowers from the garden, petals, bark, you know, roots, nuts, anything I can forage. And so Peppy for sure is uh, out there like cruising between the oh. uh, the raised beds, right? So you can imagine this very giant yeah. piggy in the pathways. And, you know, when she has to turn, she can't really turn because she's too big to make a corner. And she oh. can- we can just hear the backup beeping, you know, beep. Beep, beep, pep's backing up so she can like realign and take a corner. And so we've had her for nine years and I have turkeys and I've had peacocks. I have ducks, I have geese, lots of poultry. So when the kids left for school and uh, I had been farming with the kids in a hobby farm capacity. And we had built our flock up a little bit because we waited until our first ewe was two. Then we bred her and sort of, we had maybe like six or so sheep, but the kids were off to college and we built the barn then that was in 2008. And so I had a barn. Now I had fences. I had know-how because I had been involved in raising these animals For a while. So I decided to upsize instead of downsize when the kids left and make it my new profession. So um, I went from teaching the kids at home to farming full time. And I don't really remember when knitting and fiber arts kind of came back into vogue because, like, right now, with the, I think it's been like the social media has helped to, you know, really bring more awareness to fiber arts. So it was slow in the beginning. And so I got out of the farmer's market scene in the winters, but I opened an Etsy shop. And then I finally found a place that I could put my yarns and my natural dyed yarns. And I made comforters with the wool, you know, hand tie and make wool comforters with the batting, dryer balls. Everybody likes dryer balls made from wool. Yeah. And so anything that I could think of, I would try to craft it myself and put in my shop and you uh, never dreamed that it would become like my sole source of income you know that it wow. would be my it's not an easy thing because it's you know constant but I love my animals so much they all have names every one of them you know I went from Shetlands in the beginning to now I have nine breeds of sheep and I raise you know lambs and I raise a unique breed to uh, a new to the United States breed called Valley black nose sheep. So
1: this is so wonderful. Um, so now you are your production, you do all these things. You still sell through Etsy. Don't you also do workshops and things on your farm? Is that also? Okay.
0: So I think it was a few years ago. I was invited to sort of teach some fiber arts, some homesteading type
1: Mm -hmm. workshops
0: at events And I didn't even realize people did that, like went to retreats and went. I never knew there were things like that because I had never gone to any. Mm -hmm. And I think like I was so caught up with like I was schooling my kids and I was doing the farm. I didn't know. And it wasn't that I was like, oh, shoot, I'm not living life to its fullest because I'm not going to fiber arts retreats or whatever. (laughs) I was just like, wow, people get together and they do this. I think that is so cool, and so I because I got invited to teach, and I was I didn't even know people did that. I was like, well, that is so cool because I always loved crafts, and I always had a you million know? hobbies, and I started meeting other people like me. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh no, we definitely we like, and they take like annual trips to crafting events or workshop events and retreats and all that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a great world. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> the farm is a beautiful venue. And well, to me, it is. And it's a farm. And so I don't try to have it be anything more than it is. But my barn aisle way in the summer is really a lovely place to gather. It has a nice cross breeze. And like we all set up tables. So we just decided my daughter helped me quite a bit. My youngest when she like finished college and was between colleges. She's done quite a bit of schooling. So I would host events here. So fiber arts events here. And I would invite teachers to come and teach because facilitating an event and being a teacher is really challenging because the farm is really full-time anyway. So it was easier to have people come here and teach and host the event than to try to teach myself. So I do do classes myself and I offer like, shearing workshops in the spring or the fall. Uh, but I have like a shearing, my shearer will come and teach that because I'm hosting it and the people the students shear my sheep, which is always, you know, it takes them almost all day. Every student gets a sheep to shear and, and after we have to shear them again because they look like heck.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so if you've never shorn a sheep, it might not, it might not look no, so great after
2: I mean- it. I would be afraid to attempt it. I mean, it, it looks like we have five sheep and it's a breed that it is recommended that they get shorn twice a year. And it's a very challenging thing because we it's such a small flock that it's hard to get a shearer to come for just five sheep. They're busy with the people with hundreds of sheep. So we're kind of at the tail end of the scheduling a lot. So it's kind of a challenge, but they're Gotland sheep. I don't know if you've heard of those.
0: Yes, yes. They're beautiful. The silver sheep
2: from Sweden, right? <laughs> yes and they're, it's so nice. But wow, it takes a lot of physical strength to hold on to the, an animal that doesn't want to be held on to. <laughs> and True. Been, but we have really good shears, and they have a way with them and calm them down. And so that by the time that they're finally settled down and being sheared, they seem like they're okay. The whole process is a busy day. We'll just put it that way.
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah. And when I host shearing school, it's so great because we can only have six to eight. We've had eight-ish the last couple of sessions. We didn't do it last year and I'm not scheduling any this year, but probably next year we'll have it again. And it's an all day thing because if you've never shorn a sheep before, there's so much to learn. So it takes a long time. The sheep are very patient. So is my teacher. So each person gets to take, it's one-on-one and we're all watching and You know, so it's a long day of watching people shear a sheep or shearing the sheep yourself if you're one of the students. But a lot of these people have gone on to, like, be flock owners or be able to shear their own sheep. And anyway, my daughter shears our sheep, My Shearer is pretty great. He's doing a great job still, but he's in his 70s and he's been shearing for 57 years. But he still is the teacher I would pick because he's so good at it. But we host other things too. So like I will teach natural dye workshops here because, or soap making workshops. I've done pie baking workshops, a lot of homesteading arts, canning. I've done like a sourdough and apple butter and things like that because those are things that I feel confident. And if you don't know how to do it, it's really nice if it's easy enough for you to join a workshop. Oh, well, we've had done embroidery workshops too. That it's a great way for a person to try something and to learn how to do it for themselves or begin to learn. And then I like being able to provide mentorship afterwards because how many times do you go to something and then you maybe not do it again or mm-hmm. you maybe feel a little lost when you go away from it because you still have quite a few questions. So always make sure a person knows. And when I sell sheep too, because I sell lambs to people, you know, I'm going to be with you from the beginning to the end. Just contact me anytime. And that's pretty easy because you can correspond with people like via email or or phone calls or whatever. It's harder to find the time to schedule the workshops though, because you've got like weather as a factor Mm -hmm. and and then animal health or just all the chores from the farm. So virtual worked out for me really well in the past year. Year to do virtual teaching I've took me a while to get started on virtual teaching because I was like I could demo really well but to actually teach so the people on the other end can like work with you and learn yeah. like for natural time. it's different but I think I've got it pretty well figured out I like it a lot because I don't have to like pack up the whole car full of stuff and I don't have to leave the animals and, and worry about
2: leaving the no animals.
0: So that's working out pretty well, but maybe starting next year, I'll host events again on the farm.
1: So sounds like you really just had this experience of the farm and that life visiting your grandparents. Can you tell me about that? or Did you grow up doing these things or was it kind of a later acquired Taste that you learned all these skills. Can you tell me how you learned those things?
0: Yes, my grandmother taught me to make pies. She was always canning. So I just learned by doing when I was, mm-hmm. you know, younger. I didn't know it was special or unique to can everything from the garden because that's kind of what I learned. And we even did that in uh, California, some we had a garden. We lived in a little tiny spot, but, you know, because my mom had those skills that you know, she'd gotten on the farm growing up. So I just grew up with it. I had, it's a silly story an aside. Yes. But I think I must've been a garden nerd. Um, when I was a kid in California and like I lived on, you know, dead end street and I played in the street, like I roller skated to school and, you know, it was totally the city. And my neighbors across the streets were my friends. And I remember the Swiss chard was ready in the garden and I loved Swiss chard. And I remember running over to Eddie Higa's and Diana Lacour's and saying, Hey, you guys, my Swiss chard is ready. Do you want to come and have it for lunch? You know, <laughs> so I had like this Swiss chard party of, of course, they didn't <laughs> love Swiss chard. Like I thought they should love it. I was like, To this day, I can taste it. I love Swiss chard. But like I just grew up thinking, you know, veggies and fruits were. We never got to have processed foods just because, and it wasn't affordable. Like we were always, you know, it would be like eggs for supper. So I grew up with like real, a lot of frugality growing up. and, Mm -hmm. And then I learned all of that. Just, it was just part of life and, you know, um, from, being reared with depression era, parents, grandparents, et cetera. And then, um so th- those things I knew from living them, but like sheep farming, I had no experience with, okay. there were no small room. Well, my brother had goats once upon a time, but I had a pony for about a year when I was younger, but I had learned about horsemanship through 4-H. And anyway, I didn't have any sheep skills. I Got to say that my kids did all this book learning and they used the story guide to raising sheep. That's what we got out from the library and like read from cover to
1: cover. Very good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's where we got our beginner knowledge. Plus we did a lot of like interviews with farmers up and down the state of Vermont for about a year before we brought sheep to the farm. And even still, it was good. We started out really slow. We just brought Annie, who was the mom. We promised not to breed her because she'd had troubles when she delivered her twins. She was a Shetland. Annie and her boys, and we named them David and Morris. And they were we, they were still nursing. And then within 24 hours I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have more sheep. Where I was smitten. (laughs) And so I called the farmer up and Libby James. I said, hey, you know, we really think we want to breed someday. And also, will you have any ewes available? So there was this little ewe lamb that we'd liked when we were there. And so when she was weaned, she came to the farm. So it was like, you know, five weeks later, whatever it was. And so we didn't know what we were doing, but Maggie came, we named her Maggie and she was the matriarch of all of our sheep, you know, all of our Shetlands to this day. So we started out really slowly and it was quite a while before we had more than four sheep. It was You know, then Maggie had Lily, so she was, that was like two years in, so then we had five sheep, and then we didn't breed again for a couple years. So I think we might have been five or six years in before we had more than five sheep, and so I learned a lot. I didn't learn a lot, too, because we had so few sheep. And we just had a small flock of chickens at the time because we were being very cautious. And I had a couple dogs and all, and I had a couple cats. I was full time with my kids and teaching them and all that. And it was just, I wasn't full time with the farm. There were lots of lessons we didn't learn because, like, We never had any issues. So everything was quite as well controlled as it could be. Like we were right on top of everything. We had a small flock. We didn't have any parasites coming into the farm. You know, so they were closed. And their shetlands are super easy. Their hooves stay nice. They don't have hoof issues. Their fleeces are, we shear them twice a year, but they're like, such a hardy little breed that they are just sort of a set it and forget it sheep for many reasons. And Gotlands are hardy in that way too.
2: Yeah. When we have four gotlins and then the one little Shetland and her name is Lily, by the way, which is so cute. Yeah. It's like the shearers do their feet when they come twice a year and they, and they get sheared and yeah, they're pretty low maintenance, but what we were doing in expand our flock, we might expect what, parasites and all. Yeah,
0: this. whatever. I think um it just like more animals, more yeah, yeah, responsibility and I never had any lambing issues. Like there were no, you know, I didn't have any mortality issues cuz I had this hardy little breed. I mean, not so there was nothing that discouraged me from having more animals cuz we were having such a positive experience. And the more animals happened because like I sort of became a sanctuary. I didn't intentionally Mm-hmm. Want to be a sanctuary, but people sought me out. Like somebody needed a home for their two Cotswolds, they ended up coming to the farm. Somebody needed a home for their alpacas, and we're like, "Well, I, I always loved them, but I didn't really imagine." So I got the alpacas that way. It was just one thing. Oh, the goats and
1: it's a slippery slope because people think people will, you know, oh, Tammy will take them.
2: <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, I once heard someone say, you know, a homesteader say, "Beware of free animals." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I tell people that now because it wasn't like I was suddenly, you know, fraught with ruin and destruction. It wasn't like dramatic at all. It was just that once my flocks became larger, I brought in these new animals, older animals. I always try to bringing an animal that's older to the farm and it's its second or third home It's really challenging for you because it's stressful for them. And that it's when they're experiencing that stress They might have a health decline or whatever, you know, things will happen that wouldn't necessarily happen if they were maintaining, you know, you really want to be able to give to them should that happen. And at the same time, you don't want the health of your flock to be threatened because something mm-hmm. comes in. But, you know, at the time I have 20 acres I mean, there was room for more. I mean, and so that's when I though started learning the farming lessons of learning about, well, my Angora goats are always a hot mess because their feet are always a mess. They, <laughs> you know, they're beautiful. Their mohair is incredible, but they have this like predisposition because of being so highly bred to their white Angora goats to be what? white purebred animals that they're not as hardy. So their feet are always a mess. So we're always trimming their hooves or that somebody's always got some sort of a lameness issue. And so, yeah, I learned all about hooves from my Angora goats and, you know, learned all about colic from my Shetland pony.
2: And <laughs> we, we learned about hooves from our Shetland ponies. We knew nothing, you know, like you, like, oh yeah, we'll adopt these four ponies that need a home. And next thing you know, they're getting a manicure once a month.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They grow a lot of
2: hoof. Oh my gosh. And we didn't know anything about all that laminized. Yeah. It's funny. Like we had this little farm and we wanted the animals and wanted the experience. I think you get to a point where you realize that you have hopefully a nice balance and you're done adding, you're sustaining. That's kind of where we are. Like we're not adding anything right now. We're good. But (laughs) I'm going to ask you, what's a day in the life at Wing and a Prayer Farm, what what does your day look like?
0: Most days are so busy, and so I wake up very early. I get up around like today I got up at three. <laughs> that's not typical, oh. but I got up at three, and that's why I'm coughing now is because I think I'm tired and done. But it was uh, it's normally around five, and I'll have some coffee or whatever. I got I've got house dogs, I've got guardian dogs. So I got to feed the dogs, and of course it's hard because I my my son and my daughter, my eldest and my youngest, they're adults live with me, and which I love. It's great because they're available to help me now because for quite a few years, I was uh, doing it all alone. I have a teenager, Maggie. She's 18 now, but she started when she was 12, and she's going off to college, and I'm sad, but she would help me in the summer and stuff. So I wake up. And my son's an early bird too. We usually have coffee and I like to go right out to the barn and do the chores right away. I just get excited to go see the animals. Also, I like to move in the morning. So even though like the idea of sitting and writing appeals to me, because I try to write for, I have a Patreon channel. I try to write for that or I try to do like copy for my marketing or whatnot. All the things I have to do that are at the computer. I just don't really want to because I want to move around when I get up. I like to go, I like to get busy. I have my coffee and I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. I have my coffee and then I go downstairs. I'm usually still in my robe and into my basement where I have an old, washer a free washer <laughs> and it can hold water and it can like spin out but I have to use a hose to fill it and I usually set about 20 skeins to soak of yarn because I'm going to be dying during the day so every day I start off I fill up the washer I put the little soap and I put in the yarn I feed the cats on my way out and then I run upstairs and I usually I'm like okay I'm going to go out I'm going to do chores now and chores are usually about you know two to three hours and I I like the morning chores a lot and my daughter is not a morning person. So I usually don't need help, but like if there's something that I might need help with, I might grab her when she gets up to help me finish the chores, but the chores are something I can handle. So I get out and I feed everybody and water everybody and clean stalls, which is my favorite thing to do. Like, I mean, not my favorite, but oh my gosh, that's a reverie, you
1: know. Yeah.
0: And so, like when I'm that, and that's where I can sing, or that's where I can think, or whatever. So I've had like quite a good morning by the time I go in, and it might be like ten or (laughs) eleven when I go in, and then I I forgot that I eat breakfast pretty early. So (laughs) yeah, I, I I do try to drink a lot of water, and then I have usually yarn work to do. So my daughter does all the gardening now that she's home these couple of years. And does all the dye beds, and so that you've got to pick every day. So that I've usually got to pick coreopsis every day. Mm-hmm or um, the calendula. And I use that for soap making, or I don't use calendula so much for my dyeing, but I can. And the miracles I have to pick. So whatever is going right now, my indigo is ready. So I have to allot the time for that part of the, you know, you're working with the indigo. And so I haven't done it because today was fractured, full of lots of things, but tomorrow I have a block of time. So I'll do the indigo tomorrow because I'm that's like more labor intensive. And so there'll be that garden time. And then I'll go back to my kettles now. So, so for the afternoon, I usually tend to try to get to into my kettles for dyeing. So I always have a big kettle going for mordanting the yarn and I'll swap it out. I try to do it with as passively as possible. I have these propane burners, three of them in the backyard with these giant kettles. And that's my setup in a hose. And I don't love those propane burners. I'm always terrified to light them. Goes back to when I was a little girl and my shirt caught on fire and it was, a yeah. So I, that is the part of my farming life that I do not like is the dying part where i have to light my burner so for mordanting i'll let everything just sort of passively mordant and let you know let time do that for me so i don't have to add a flame
2: does that work okay
0: it does yeah i've mastered it now like i i will never use I don't need to use heat ever unless I was trying oh. to rush the results. But usually soaking overnight is plenty oh. in whatever the morning solution is. And, you know, if I needed to turn it over like within a day's time or like that afternoon or something, I would add heat. So next, so we get yarn work. So then it's getting on time to do chores. So in and amongst the yarn work and the garden work and the morning chores – I also have, like, my Etsy shop, so I might have orders to fill, hopefully. (laughs) Or if I don't have orders to fill, it's up to me to, like, make a little noise. That's the thing I don't love doing. I love talking about the animals. And, like, it's kind of a miracle. I haven't been – I haven't lapsed into stories yet. But I – that's what my I want to do is talk about the animals. I don't want to talk about the yarn. I think the yarn is beautiful, and I think it's beautiful because I love the animals so much. yeah, but I just think it's beautiful. and I love what I'm dying. It's beautiful, and I love the animals. But if you told me that I had to talk about yarn every day, I think I'd be <laughs> like, I'm out you know, no, because to me, it's only because of the animals that the yarn is
1: there or whatever the product is, is there. Do you remember the Jay Peterman catalog? Oh, yes. That's kind of what I I think you should do that. I think you should like, you can sell your yarn by telling stories about the, like, I think that works. I don't know.
0: I never thought of that. Like that is is so me yeah and, and those stories are hilarious whether I are or not you get caught up you're like oh yes this is good and then you're like yes that outfit would send me right there to wherever because exactly. that would be the fit mm-hmm. yeah because I can't the competition all of the yarn companies and yeah. all yeah I mean there there's your beautiful yarn and and everybody loves it, and I'm like, I love it. But like, let I scroll, I'm like, let me see. Where oh, look at the sheep! You know, yes. and I'm, I'm like, I'm all fixed on like a living thing, flowers and sheep. Well, can you tell us? Story? Yeah, tell us a story. Tell us an animal story. Well, let me tell you about Peppy. Okay, okay, oh, I've please. seen
2: Peppy on Instagram. She's adorable. I already love her.
0: Oh, she's so great. And she oh has a God. billion stories, and they all do. And I'll start thinking of them as we go along. Yeah. Mary and Bluma. But here's a cute one about Pep. So, pep came to the farm when she was just a couple weeks old and she was a bottle baby she had a broken jaw and so the farm that she was born at raises these american guinea hogs for the table um and they're excellent heritage breed hog they forage really well they're known for that they're also known for not getting to be as big and so it's not as huge of an animal and they're a heritage breed so they have really good resistance like they're They're not modified in any way, so I was believe it or not, it was kind of the last time I I went anywhere by air. My daughters and I had gone to San Francisco to meet up with somebody who wanted to buy yarn and um, to see family, and it was in January. We got a phone call, or no, I got a text from a friend saying, "Tammy, do you want a pig?" (laughs) I was like getting off the airplane in San Francisco. Uh, Not right now. Don't bring a pig to my farm right now. I'm not there. I was like, oh golly, all they have to do is show up. That's going to complicate everything I left behind. Like Nobody's ready for a piglet to show up. So when I got home, so it was a very quick trip, but the girls and I had this special getaway. So we got home and my friend brought the piglet over. And so- Oh, she was so cute and she drank from a bottle and she her jaw wasn't broken anymore, but she was firmly a bottle baby. And so my middle daughter was still in college, but her whole break she was home and she really took to her. So we named her Princess Peppermint, so the little black hog. She was like a watermelon. That's how big she was. And she loved SJ, my daughter SJ. She loved her so much and Oh, she slept in her arms and stuff. And then she had to go back to college, but it's January in Vermont, so it's pretty icy and cold and frozen and all. So Pepe had her little uh, habitat out in the barn. We made her in a stall, a little spot that would be warm and all. And she grew rapidly. In the summer, she would just cruise around and be wherever she wanted to because she was very much like a pet. And one year, she even grazed with the sheep all year in the pasture, since she really liked her little sheep friends, but she was a loner for the most part. But she... She would come to the house quite often to the front porch because she was accustomed to doing yeah. that. Here she looks. <laughs> yeah. And she'd actually been in the house a few times. So like you get a pig at the door and she's big by now. She's like 200 plus pounds. And she would go, you know, you hear, hm, hm, you know, and the door would bonk, bonk. And you'd be like, oh, Pep's at the door. So you go out. Oh, hey, Pep. And she'd be like, "Hmm, hm, because that's what she does. She says, hmm. And. So she likes snacks. So give her snacks or whatever. And so one time in the summer, she was up there and it was the day, like I gave her some fruits or whatever and she was happy. And then she had a nice nap on the porch. And then it was time to get down because it was mealtime. I was going to bring her back and she wouldn't get down. It was the day she decided she was terrified to go down the stairs. Oh, And so she, up till then, she must've been at a, a weight that was negotiable, navigable for going up and down stairs. But there was that day, she was like, no, because she's giant. And if she goes down these steps, which are sort of steep, and her little trotters are like so big, not very big. She was terrified she was going to fall. Yeah. She would not go down the stairs. I could not coax her. I had all the treats. She loves peppermints. I had a bowl for them. Like, I could lead her anywhere with peppermints. And no, she was like, no, she was so like and then she squealed, oh, you know, because she's like, no, I'm not gonna do it. And it was it was heart-wrenching because we're like, okay, I can't have her on the porch because she's gonna poop and pee all over the porch and also she can't be on the porch the rest of her life. What are we gonna do? So that night, I didn't know what to do. I tried every trick and it it was taking so long. So I decided, you know, we're going to sleep on it and I'll just deal with the porch in the morning. And Pep was totally content to not be bothered to go off the porch. OK, so we let her sleep on it. And in the morning, I thought, oh, what if I get a hard cider or two and coax her? I don't see if yeah. So poured her a hard cider into oh my. bowl, and she slurped it right up. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, um, I was like, okay. She is a huge pig. She can, she can drink more than one cider. So I poured another one because it was gone. Like, and I guess she wasn't like super hydrated because it went right to her. She was like, whoa, she was really like (laughs) sort of silly. And um, I know like, i like, I know it's not inhumane. I'm not worried about anybody coming after me because my vet has actually even recommended you know before i give her her shots and stuff Mm -hmm. you know like how many will she drink two three let her have them because giving up a pig a shot is not easy so anyway (laughs) so she had a couple hard ciders, and then she was like (laughs) she would do anything she was brave So I was like, come on, Pat, let's go. Like, you know, really cheerleading her on. And she followed me down the stairs without thinking about it. You shouldn't think she didn't overthink it. Yeah, <laughs> so She didn't overthink it. And then but unfortunately, it wasn't the smoothest transition because she sort of like, a little, she propelled off. You know, yeah. She had all that momentum. yeah, And her legs were a little wobbly from the cider. But then she was down there and she was so happy. And then she followed me you know, back to the garden where she was at that time. And then it was a memory. And so then after that, I just had to make sure if Pep was out and about, I blockaded the porch so we wouldn't have that happen again. Um, But there was another time when she doesn't didn't feel so well. And um, I shared a mojito with her out in the garden and that made her come around. So every now and then, if you need like a really, you know, if you need somebody to relax with, Pep's your gal. (laughs) I mean, she is
2: my story.
0: She is the gal. We, all, we, we will be really sad. She's nine now and she's so big and she just doesn't move as well. I will really miss my pep. There'll never be another. Yeah. I, mean, I don't, you know, if you have a dog and it's like a big dog, they don't yeah. usually live as long and yeah. I would put her, I don't know, because she's not moving around as well and she had pneumonia when she was young and her temp was 107 and she had it for like five days and she shouldn't even have like sort of survived that. She. Yeah. We had to give her, an, I had to give her an IV every day to, and then we covered her with like freeze pops. You know how they come like in a sheet, those plastic yeah. freeze because of the cold and put them on her to cover her bod, to cool her down. And it was really something while I was trying to um, get her healthy, but she survived. But after that, she was always been almost all blind and almost all deaf because like I more think- than half blind, she was really severely affected by that high fever. So I don't think she'll live, like, as long as she may have had she not
2: yeah. had that
0: in her early years. Plus, like, she started off life with a broken jaw and the runt. And so yeah. she's kind of a little miracle piggy.
2: What a gal. Really. And, you know, I've I've seen her picture and she's just, she's so adorable. And you don't see, like, most of the times in my experience or knowledge of people with pigs, they don't keep them that long. You know, they end up. Going off, once they reach that huge weight, I've never heard of anybody keeping a pig that size for a pet all those years. So I don't even know how long they're supposed to live. I mean, aren't they kind of as domesticated, like? Farm animals, aren't they just bred to be eaten? Actually?
0: Yeah, yeah. And we once a long time ago, we got two pigs, Root Root and Gub Gub, and we bought them specifically for the table. And yeah. I said, I will never do that again. Right. First of all, I love pigs. Yeah, they are nice. so
1: smart. Yeah. Their IQ is really high, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yes. And I learned that. But then the thing about these two pigs that I'd had that we'd raised for the table was they get to a certain point in their lives where they are all about food. And it's like, I'm, my kids were little and it was like, you know, slightly dangerous. If you, you wouldn't want to trip and fall. I mean, they yeah. might, you know, they might chow down on your jeans, your leg. I mean, they Peppy would never hurt us because she loves us and like we talk. Hey, and she knows yeah. us. But if your pigs are raised for meat, their environment, like they don't get, you might not socialize with them as much or whatever. And they get, they're all about food. And so you're kind of like, they can be a little bit terrifying. Yeah, (laughs) I'll never raise pork again because I had that experience and I have raised turkeys for the table, like 40 to 50 turkeys a year for Thanksgiving turkeys. And I have processed my own poultry and my own turkeys. It's you know, chickens and turkeys for the table. But I have a a moral dilemma in all of that. I love the animals too much to be able to do that. And so I acknowledge that there are people that do that. And I'm not judging at all, as well as I'm an omnivore, I, I eat everything, but I only eat meats that I know that they were humanely and lovingly raised, even though lovingly, I know people will argue what that is to raising animals for me. But I really can't do it for myself because it will take like, it takes years off my life every time I have to do it. I don't <laughs> love doing it. I was raised that way. So I I know how to do it. But I realized at one point in my life when I was doing all this, I was like, just because I was raised that way and because I understand it and all, it doesn't mean like maybe... I don't have to do this. There are people that do. So there are people like nearby, there's a farm and it is their livelihood to process poultry, right? And they do a great job and their kids are all, and I feel very confident to use their services. So there are people that are like, that's their livelihood. So I'm okay with supporting them and I don't judge them at all. And truth be told, that's why I raise fiber animals. But at any rate, Pep Story is one of So many. So I, I won't tell you stories all day, but I realized in telling the story about Pep that I've had like a peacock wedding on my farm and I've had a sheep wedding on my farm. I've had like a string quartet and I've had a justice of the peace and we've had, you know, attendance and we've had lots of serious and silly occasions with our animals. What's the
1: peacock wedding?
0: Oh, well that was Figaro and He had been married to Jewel. Well, I don't know. They didn't ever like formally get hitched. They may be eloped, but Fig and Jewel were my white peacocks. I had them forever. And then something, Jewel got attacked by a fox one winter. And so that was so tragic and Fig was alone. So now it's springtime and it's mating season and he's alone. So I had to find him a wife. And so the only white peacocks I could find or peacocks for sale in New England were in on Cape Cod, which is about, it's like a five hour drive from here. So I was like, okay, I finally found fig a mate. So we decided that we would have a wedding. My gosh, beautiful white peacock and then, you know, (laughs) going to have a bride and it's mud season, right? And uh, well, that's what we call it here in Vermont in the spring when the snow is not quite all the way gone. It's just mud until it's not mud and all of a sudden it's spring. So Everybody gets a little bit girly. Yes. And so I popped in the car at like 4 a.m. The day before I had done all the flowers for the wedding and lined up the justice of the peace. And then I put chairs in front of the barn, arranged them. And my friend who is a, you know had a string quartet said, oh, well, we have to play the marriage of Figaro. And so they set themselves up. They like They put their music together. And I was like, well, that's great. And then my other friend who's a singer, she planned the solos. And um, so we had a soloist and then, you know, somebody wanted to make a wedding cake and I sent out the invitation and I said, you know, that the dress code was farmyard flamboyant. And so people got dressed up in their mud boots, but you know, ruffles too. And I went and like, I wasn't even on the road for 25 minutes and I got pulled over by a cop on the way out of town. And he's like, what are you rushing off to at this hour? And I was like, well, you're never <laughs> gonna believe it. I said, I'm going to get two brides for my group. Cause I found out there were two peacocks of peahens available and like a peacock would have a harem, right? So yeah. I was like, well, yeah, I'm gonna get the two. If I'm making this whole trip, I'll get him two gals. And so we called them the Susannas. And so the cop, (laughs) the policeman was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, well, you think I made this up? (laughs) I I said, I have to pick him up because we have to be back by like 1 p.m. Because everybody's going to be there for the wedding. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'll calm down. He's like, you just calm down. You got to get back for that wedding in one piece. And so he didn't give me a ticket. (laughs) And so I I was like, okay, well, great. Then, you know, I'll be careful, officer. And I was. And I got to the (laughs) cake. And I got, you know, I got to this place where this person had these peacocks for sale. And I think he thought I was crazy. So I got them and I brought them back in a crate in the back of my car and pulled in in time. I had made like a wagon all decorated. And so I put the crate with the two Susannas in the wagon. And like we'd made a bunting, my daughter and I made a bunting that was like, you know, congratulations, Figaro and the Susannas. And everybody was in place. and a friend of mine videoed it too. and and so anyway, we had the wedding, and I pulled. Did I pull the brides? I can't remember. Oh, no, I held fig. so I could hold fig. And I actually had a green a green coat on because it was pretty cold. It was like I had my winter coat on. It was a wool coat. And I held fig up at the altar in quotes and um and then um Char brought the susanna is my daughter uh that works with me here in the wagon they came down the aisle and um the justice of peace conducted the ceremony and she did a great job i can't remember what the words were but i think but we have it on video so then they said i do and so felix And so then it was like, you know, I let Fig go so he could walk down and go see the girls when it was time. And so he walked down and he looked at them and then he took off and he flew to the highest trees on the, on the farm, you know, like a giant pine tree on the edge of the property and stayed up there. He was a bit freaked out, I think, from the wedding. <laughs> or he had cold feet. Oh, but anyway,
2: it was stressful. <laughs>
0: we came down and the girls, we put the girls in a stall and they acclimated beautifully and then Fig and the girls, the Susanna's, lived happily ever after.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: That was, was a long weird. time ago. You have to write a book. And That's such a good yeah, I was gonna you've I think to write a picture. Your but. wing winging a prayer farm with all these stories you you really missed and speaking yeah. of can you tell us the story of the name wing
1: in a prayer
0: sure so when i first started homeschooling my kids we wanted to have a school name for our school so we came up with wing in a prayer homeschool because i am pretty thoughtful about things that i do But I do run on passion as a motivator and like, I don't get stopped short. Obviously I take for serious real having a (laughs) wedding for peacocks and I have had a similar wedding for sheep and it's like, I believe life should be fun and life should be beautiful and wonderful and whimsical. I don't apologize for whimsy and I don't apologize for being impulsive. So wing and a prayer is sort of a lifestyle. So the kids and I called our school wing and a prayer homeschool. And then when uh-huh. they went off and then it was wing and a prayer farm, because we, you know, the farm had really developed by then and it still holds true for me. So, you know, I, I think I'm not a typical farmer, and I don't think I'm taken seriously in sheep circles. Um, And that's okay with me. I do make a lot of decisions that aren't de rigor, and it's okay. I do have, you know, there is a lot of thought, and I always have a billion, million things going on in my head. So there is some planning, and I have knowledge. Uh, But I'm all about you can learn and do most anything you want to do. I don't ever feel like I don't ever feel too limited, actually. Like if it's I mean, obviously, there's like I would love to be a vet if I was going to pick another career. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: I'm pretty sure my mushy menopause brain doesn't want to handle the science and math that, you know, (laughs) I would love to be able to do that, but I got a lot of things I I want to do. And um,
2: yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so, that's wonderful. I, I love you saying you don't apologize for whimsy. That's wonderful. I'm going to remember that one, but what does the good dirt mean to you? And you can answer that literally or metaphorically or any way you want.
0: I'm going to answer it probably metaphorically because If that's okay, yeah. In my mind, my it's really cool because uh, my grandmother always gave me a subscription to Organic Gardening, and so that was a magazine. And I don't think it might have been; it might be like ten years ago that they stopped publishing. I actually don't remember, but it was a magazine that she got every year, you know, every month. Mm -hmm. And Organic Gardening wasn't like there was nothing; organic was. It was not a commonly used term yeah. back when she was alive. But I grew up reading her magazine, thinking that everybody would garden organically. Grandma and I would watch that. Grandma Brown and I would watch that show about gardening so she always gave me that subscription when I grew up and had my own home in my own garden. So that was like her gift every Christmas to me was a subscription for that for the year. And I'll never forget when I was talking about, well, Grandma, I'm not sure if my dirt is good here, you know. <laughs> she said, Tammy, it's not dirt; it's soil. And so, <laughs> and she felt very, like you know, sort of like proud of herself for pulling the term out because of having learned so much from all of our organic gardening magazines and and all of that. And I was like, okay, Grandma, but it's going to be a hard time for me to remember to say soil all the time. I like good dirt. And so that's you know a little story I have. But metaphorically, I would say that when I hear the term good dirt, it fills me up inside with a, the idea of stories. And so you just, you know, I love stories. I think the world is so many stories. Everything is interesting in the world because of stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they,
0: There's not one person that I don't want to hear their story, you know? And when you say good dirt, I just think great stories. And I think Earthy and I think soil, and I think Grandma Brown and those organic gardening magazine subscriptions. It's heartwarming.
2: Oh, oh and you, so you are full of good stories. Yeah. Oh, that is.
1: Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with uh, that you want people to understand about the work that you do or? Anything else that you feel like you haven't touched on yet?
0: I think that something that I always sort of preach, and so that's that wing in a prayer part. And I am known to preach about small farms and that to my way of thinking that the world should be full of small farms, that, you know, small farms can make a big impact. And so the more we support small farms, the more we're making, you know, having a positive effect on the world. So I didn't talk about this much, but we really felt like um, being good stewards of the earth meant bringing sheep to our farm way back in 2000 because when we were first thinking about bringing them, because we had 20 acres and we were using fossil fuels to mow the lawn or to cut the fields with tractors, et cetera. And we're like, why don't we have sheep, you know, and then we're not going to make as big of a carbon footprint and all that. And the sheep are going to grow wool and, you know, then they're going to take care of the the pastures and the grasses and we'll get something back from the sheep. So here we are, just a small farm, but for 20 years, we've been farming here on these 20 acres. And I think like that has to have added up to some sort of a positive impact on the immediate environment. So... And I know that, like my local feed store, I know all the people in there, and I know, you know, what their jobs are, and who they have to go home and feed their families or whatever. And my local mills where I get my wool spun, and I know the people that work there, so they have a job, and because they're processing my fiber and other small farms. So it just, I just want everybody to seek out a small farm when they can, and try to support them, make that choice over you know over the commercial agricultural choice and i know commercial agricultural farming has to exist i know that that has to happen and all but if we can make more conscientious consumer choices and pick small businesses then it's nothing but
1: good it's nothing but good dirt
0: <laughs> nothing but good dirt
1: amen yes. sister <laughs> amen you said it a oh, great That's awesome <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Tammy. This has been so wonderful. I can't wait for hopefully many more stories with you. Oh, yes. You're a delight.
2: I look forward to it. This was absolutely delightful. Thank you so so much. much.
0: You're welcome. I can't wait to come back.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and we hope you'll share all of your feedback with us at ladyfarmer.com forward slash survey. Remember that the survey is open for just one more week and we'll be drawing one winner from all of the survey completers for a free year in the Almanac. And a reminder that everyone who completes automatically gets three months free. Yes,
2: and a big thank you to Tammy for coming on the show today. And a reminder also that the Almanac is now always open and we've just begun our fall programming. So we'd really love to have you with us. Come on in.
1: Thank you as always, dear listeners, for being here on The Good Dirt every Friday. We will see you next week. Goodbye. you like listening to the good dirt? I hope you do because you're here listening to it. And are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast? Well, We're so excited to offer The Almanac. It's our private, slow-living community network where we share workshops, activities, articles, essays, recipes, and so much more that align with our community's sustainable,
2: slow, seasonal way of living. As a member, you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings. Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow-living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac-exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow-living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round. Numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including... The slow living retreat. As a good dirt listener, we are excited to offer
1: you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to LadyFarmer.com slash community to sign up with this special offer just for good dirt listeners. Yay! That's LadyFarmer.com slash community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac or three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com community.